All right, well, welcome everybody back to the Ridge View podcast. I am Pastor Jeff, and today I have a really cool friend on the show. I've been traveling not all across the United States, but we've gone to many, many states together doing ministry. Uh, he's an attendee of our church, and he also is involved in local ministries outside of the church, and we'll get into that later, but I'd like to welcome Sean Carlson to the podcast. Welcome. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's fun to be here. It's my pleasure, my pleasure. When I was thinking about icebreakers for you, one story that always comes to mind, and I don't know if you know where I'm going to go, but when we were in Wisconsin and we stopped off and we got cheese curds, (laughs) you know where I'm going. I do remember, yeah. Yeah. And you said that the way that you know that cheese curds are fresh is if... They squeak when you chew them. Yes. And I have a personal auditory issue with hearing people chew. <laughs> and we get in the car. <laughs> I think I'm a generally loud chewer anyway. Yeah. And throw in some squeaks. Yeah. squeaky cheese on top of that. <laughs> well, it went as the teeth are going back and forth. So, and then you had these grapes. I, they, they were, were they were good. They were ripe. They yeah, they're firm, were very like ripe. that crispy grape. And it was so loud that I, I ended up recording it. I have a voice memo. Yeah. Of it that, I haven't listened to in a while. I should have I should have queued that up for right now. Maybe I'll do it on the podcast. I'll okay, maybe I'll play that. it right now. Yeah. But we did get the giggles because it was late. You know, like when you it's so late in the night when you're just like laughing so hard, tired, a little slap happy. Yes. Yeah, it was a good time. For sure. Mm-hmm. So you are from the north? I am. So that trip, we were in Wisconsin. So we really have, if you go from Laredo on the border all the way up to Wisconsin. We have done it. It's kind of across the country that yeah. qualifies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm from one state over in Minnesota. Okay, what part? Well, I grew up in northern Minnesota on the Iron Range. And uh, when I was 14, we moved south to Minneapolis-St. Paul. And so I'm a little bit north, a little bit rural, a little bit country, but then a little bit city too. You said Iron Ridge? Iron Range. Iron Range. Yeah. Is that a town or is well, that Well, it's a region in that part where I think I don't know. There's there's a history there that I probably am going to get wrong, but most of the iron ore from like the uh the uh the building what do they call that era, like the building renaissance or the the Rockefeller era? Yeah, the Rockefeller era. Yeah. Uh, all of the iron ore that it was used to make the steel came from that part of the country. Mm. And they still have a lot of mines up there. And especially when I was growing up, it was a very active mining community. But uh, that's why they call it the Iron Range, because there's all those, whatever they call, like, you know, you got like an oil field, or mm-hmm. a shoal, shoal mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I don't know. I'm really exposing myself. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to ministry. So you moved, how old were you when you moved to uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul? Well, I was 14. It was actually probably three or four days before my 14th birthday. So it was mid-school year, mm. and it, it was a big deal moving from a small town. My graduating class would have been 26. Very small town. It was a town of 900. And so our town and the neighboring town were together for the school, but even still, there was 28, 26 people in my class. Dude. So you talk about going from... A small town, small school, everybody knows everybody, you grew up with everybody, you know everybody's history, and just small town life. You don't Mm -hmm. lock your doors, all that stuff. 
you go from that to moving to the to the center of the big city. Like we moved into the hood in mm. St. Paul. My dad was a carpenter up north on the Iron Range, and uh, the a lot of the mines near us they kind of went on. They were going on strike a lot, and eighty percent of the economy, I would say, are people who work in the mine, and so nobody's working because they're on strike. They're not building things, and so we had to move uh, to the city. My dad got a job as a caretaker for a public housing high rise, and public housing is generally low income housing, and so we were right in the middle of the probably one of the worst parts of St. Paul, and so I go from this small town wholesome experience to big city and gangs and all that stuff. So it's a huge, huge culture shock for me. What's interesting about that is two, I think it was during the, the COVID years, <laughs> the COVID era. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was during those times we had, we partnered with a ministry up in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and we did a week of outreach, kind of like we normally do. Mm-hmm. And I just, I felt like I needed to go to areas of the city where in my pre-Christian days, like I could, they could use a little reclaiming of the land, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the neighborhood where I grew up with some coworkers, and it, it had changed a little bit. It had gotten a little worse, but they, they were looking around and they're like, "You grew up here? Like, how did you survive this?" Mm. And I and I was just walk looking around as I was walking the streets, <laughs> thinking, "Man, how did I survive this? Like, this is crazy. What's going on? I mean, you watch drug deals go down on the street." And you know, I just felt like the Lord showed me that, like, I have roots in that, and it's to a degree. I mean, like, not the lifestyle, but I have, mm-hmm. like, I grew up in that environment, and instantly it took away all intimidation that I would have to go into a neighborhood like that. And now, as we were in Laredo, I mean, like, right. it's it's pretty rough. And so I actually enjoy going into those kinds of neighborhoods now that I know that, like, look, I survived that, and and I believe that God used that in my life. Mm-hmm. So huge cultural shock, but God definitely turned it around and used it. That's amazing. So when you were in that kind of in that neighborhood, were there like like were you involved in any fights or anything like that? Or did you kind of just like stay stay no, away? I stayed I stayed away. Um are you drawing out the story that I've told you? I don't remember. Okay, so I so as I tell the story, growing up in northern Minnesota, the culture is you're either Swedish or Norwegian or you're Italian or you're Finnish. Like, it's European. It's white. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say that the only black person that we knew growing up was Kirby Puckett, you know, Minnesota yeah. Twain center fielder. And so when I moved into that neighborhood, like, it was culture shock in all kinds of ways. And I remember my first day of school, I was sitting in the counselor's office. And I, I live, we lived two blocks down the hill from the, where the school was. And because it was so late in the school year, I didn't get to pick my school. And this particular school was the last stop that they would send kids who were misbehaving before they'd ship them off to like the boys' town or whatever. So, so it was also a rough school. So I'm sitting there in the counselor's office, and I had my class roster, my locker number, sitting on a sheet of paper at the counselor's desk, and he had stepped out for something. And this big dude comes in, this big black dude comes in, and he kind of puts his hand on my shoulder, and he looks over, and he's like, ah, oh, I know where that locker is. I'll see you after school. And I'm like, oh, no. You know, I'm like already terrified to be in this school environment. Like, it's just everything. And I'm watching the clock. That bell rang for the last hour, and I hightailed it to my locker. And sure enough, that dude is there waiting for me. And I was like, no, I'm going to get pummeled. And for me to go home, I would walk out the front doors of the school, probably walk 50 yards, not even, to the left, and go down two blocks, and I'm in my back door. And this dude is like, come with me. 
And I was like, where are we going? We walked out the front door of the school and we go to the other opposite direction to the right. And I'm thinking, this is it. Like, I'm done. I'm a goner. <laughs> and, and we walked down through this block that was, it was wooded. And so we're like walking down this hill on this path and we get into the woods and he turns and he looks at me and he's like, look, every day after school, there's a gang fight on that corner that you would normally go down. He's like, you need to walk home this way. And if you're going to be safe. Hmm. And I was like, oh man. And, and we can, his name was Jamie and we, we hit it off for a little while. He ended up moving even before the school year was out. But you know, God, again, I believe like he just sent somebody uh, who acted either out of obedience or innocence or something and really took care of me. It was just you and him? Just me and him. I wonder if he had done that for anyone else. I wonder that. He was just one of those, you know, think of like, you can picture the guy. He's a big guy, just, you know, big teddy bear, really gentle, I find out later after mm-hmm. I get to know him. And it wouldn't surprise me if he did. He mm-hmm. was just that kind of guy. So as you, you're telling, telling me that you're walking home from school, obviously, it's a short distance from the school, I get that. But in, in today's age, I would not let my kids walk home from school, oh, no, no matter way. what neighborhood, right? No way. So your parents, they didn't pick you up, or did your mom and dad work, both of them? Well, when we lived up north, my dad is a carpenter, as mm-hmm. I said. My mom, uh, she did some smaller jobs, mostly a stay-at-home mom, but she worked in, in a trucking company as an accountant for a little while. She also owned a, a ceramic and gift shop on the downtown street of our little town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, like we growing up, I lived right across the street from the school. So it wasn't... You know, dropping your kids off at school, that was not a thing like it is now. Uh, I, 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 was even, I wasn't even in the busing ring, so like I couldn't have even bussed. Mm. So walking to school was my only option. And you think of like a, a school in a neighborhood. There was no loop. There's no parking lot. There's no, like we go to our schools and there's a loop that you drive through and you, all that stuff. It, it wasn't like that. And so I don't even think that they thought of it. Mm. I think they just, this is what you do. You walk to school. Sure. And if you move into a town, you don't really know the neighborhood. Probably none the wiser. It's probably good for all of us that we really didn't know what kind of neighborhood we were in. Right. Did y'all make friends, like family friends? Like, do you remember having, like, did your parents make friends that you were like, you could call them uncles or aunts or? Yeah, we made some friends in the high rise. So the, the building that my dad took care of was a 16 story high rise, like 200 and some apartment units. And this particular building kind of skewed more towards elderly people. And mm-hmm. so, Yes, it was public housing, it was low income, but they were elderly. And so we made some friends within the building that just kind of took care of us, watched mm-hmm. out for us, you know, uh, helped kind of tell us like, hey, you probably shouldn't let your kid walk, <laughs> walk down that street sure. on home from school. Yeah. And so we made some good friends. And then when I went to high school, my high school was clear on the other side of town. And I, I made friends there. You know, uh, one of them, I'm, I still text to this day, we had pretty much every class together in high school. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we... It takes, it takes a little while to break into a community, but we made friends. No doubt. We made it. During these years, are you, what's your relationship like with, with church and, and, and the Lord? Yeah. You know, I grew up, um, we went to church. So my dad's side of the family was Catholic. My mom's side of the family was Lutheran. Uh, my mom did all of the uh, stuff to kind of convert into the Catholic Church, and I, we, from what I remember, we went to church fairly regularly when I was really young, and I would say like three, four, five, six. I remember 
you know, waking, falling asleep during church. I don't remember falling asleep yeah, during yeah, church, yeah. but I remember waking up and I missed the part where you got to turn and shake people's hands. Um, and I would always be so upset because that was like the my meet favorite and greet, part. man. Yeah, the meet and greet, right? You know, in the Catholic Church, it's like after communion, so like you're almost done. And so I remember going to church, and then something happened, and uh, you know, and I don't know what it was, and we stopped going to church. Mm-hmm. And I continued on for a little while with some friends, but. Uh, it wasn't like a, a rejection of church. I think that we just through a you know whatever apathy or I'm not really sure what we just stopped going, and then we moved and never really established any kind of faith home or faith tradition. Although God wasn't uh, rejected, still uh, He was very absent. We didn't pursue God. We didn't pursue things of faith at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really wasn't until my my twenties, where I began to then say, you know what, I, I need to get, I need to get back to that, and even that took, you know, some some years to get into it. But uh, as a family, I did like the, you know the first communion classes and uh, stuff while we were going to church. So mm-hmm. I had a little bit of understanding of some things. Like mm-hmm. after I came to Christ, and I'd read some Bible stories, I'd be like, oh yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's how I am too. I'll, I'll read stories and I'm like, oh man, yeah, Daniel. There's some story that Amy came home with from Sunday school, and I was like, I remember that. Uh-huh. I think it was Jonah, Jonah and the whale. And I was like, there's a lot of symbolism in that, too, because, mm-hmm, sure. you, you know, you want to give them the, well, Jesus was in the tomb for three days, uh-huh. and this is so, this, there's so many parallels here. But um, do you have any brothers or sisters? I have a sister. She's nine years older than I am. And so it, I had a really awesome relationship with her, uh, growing up and it, still she was she was like a big sister mm-hmm. and so she was uh she knew how to kind of you know when you get those babysitters who kind of know how to like yeah run the house she was like that so she was she cooked she cleaned you know she kind of pitched in she helped out but then she would kind of like do the big sister things I, one time i remember my parents went on a, a vacation together and i was in sixth grade and I think she, well, what's the math on that? She would have been graduated from high school. And she shows up to my classroom. It was like, you know, homeroom classroom period towards the end of the day. And she's kind of waving this slip in the air. It's different back then. You could just walk into a school, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And she's waving this slip at the door. And she's like, Sean, we got, got to go to your doctor's appointment. You know, and she kind of shows the teacher who he had her when she was in sixth grade too. Yeah. She's like, you better go to the doctor's appointment. And I was like, I don't have a doctor's appointment today. And she's like, yeah, you do. Come on. <laughs> and I'm like, no, mom would have told you. Know, and finally we get over that and uh, we get out to the car. And I was like, where are we going? She's like, ah, I thought I'd get you out of school. Let's go to the mall. So we saw a movie and got ice cream at the mall. And so it was cool to have a sister who was like that, who could just kind of be big sister towards me. I, I hear stories of us getting into it, more me just being a pest mm-hmm. to her. Uh, but I really enjoyed that. And, uh, you know, I think with that came a lot of like motherly wisdom that I got from her as well as my mom. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, when I was dating or courting or, you know, you know, meet Eric or whatever, they would say, well, like, you know, you're so good. And I'm like, well, I had two moms, you know, basically mm. they were like on me to. Not that way. Right. Yeah. yeah. They were just, hey, clean up, pick up your laundry. This is how you fold a fitted sheet. This is like all these things. Sure. Yeah. We'll get to Erica in, in a minute, yeah, because she's a she's a pretty integral part in yeah. in your life. All right, so you graduate high school in MSP, and then you 
go to college. Mm. Yeah. When I was, let me let's back up and talk about high school a little bit. I was, I love to cook. Mm-hmm. Do you know this about me? Yeah. You've been to my house. I love to cook. Yeah. You got the, um, the temperature check for every piece of chicken. You got to make sure it's cooked all the way. <laughs> a thermometer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whatever those things are called. Yeah. Don't need at Jeff's house. <laughs> I have one. Okay, good. I have one. Good. Do you use it? Yes, for sure. sure. Chicken is 165. Good for you. Got to have it. Amen. All right. So I was in high school. I chose the high school that I went to because they had a culinary arts program. Mm. I was like, oh, that's that's pretty sweet. And so all four years I was in it. But my last two years, I, I was in it more than I was in any other class. So like we had our regular like culinary arts class, but then we had like culinary management and some other class. I think that the... I really think she made it up just for me. But I, my original career goal was to be a chef. Mm. And so and when I was in high school, I, w- I did a lot of cooking. Uh, I, I worked at restaurants since I was 16. Um, my, I did a lot of cake decorating. Um, and so when my sister's nine years older than me, when I was in a senior in high school, she got married and I made her wedding cake. And I made like a wedding cake, like mm. four tiers, did all the roses, you know, like, I mean, it was like, it was legit. I mean, it would have sold for thousands of dollars if it was Mm. today. And I did it in high school. I did it in class. And my sister got married at the Mall of America. And there's a really nice restaurant out there. There was at the time. And she had a reception out there. And so in the morning of my, in the morning of her reception, my dad and I brought the cake out and it was early. So it was just the executive chef there. And uh, he's like, wow, that's a cool cake. Where'd you get it? I was like, I made it. You know, I'm like 17 years old. He's like, you made this thing? I was like, yeah, I made it. He's like, man, that's cool. And so we leave, we come back, do the wedding. We go, we're in there for for dinner, uh, for lunch or whatever we had after the wedding. And uh, the waiter was like, hey, did somebody here make this cake? And I said, yeah, I did. And he's like, man, the chef was really impressed with it. And I'm a pretty snotty 17-year-old. I was like, well, does the chef have a job for me? And he's like, well, let me go check. And so he goes in, he comes back out. He's like, well, if you got a few minutes, I'll meet with you. And so I went in and I walked into his office. He's like, hey, my name's Eric. Tell your sister I said, congratulations, you want to come work here? And I was like, I do. And I was already working at a restaurant at the time. It was just kind of a, it was a, it's just a standard kind of restaurant in a Best Western hotel. Mm-hmm. So I started working at this really nice restaurant. <clears throat> and he went to the Culinary Institute of America, which is probably the you know, either that or Le Cordon Bleu in France, like number one or number two culinary school in the world, very hard to get into. And he's like, dude, you need to go to this school. And so I'm still in high school. I'm working 40 hours a week and I'm pursuing this like high-end culinary school. Uh, Long story short, I I got in uh, Mm. before I graduated high school. And that was my plan. I was going to graduate high school, move out to Hyde Park, New York, go to this culinary school. And I, at some point during the summer, I realized this is not for me because I working as a high schooler in a best Western hotel kitchen is one thing, but working at a high end restaurant is very dog eat dog, very competitive, a lot of substance abuse. Uh, just, it wasn't the kind of environment that I liked. And I realized that I actually remember the night that I realized it. And I just kind of like, I, I quit, I, I quit pursuing that, but I'd already graduated high school. Mm. And with that came all the choices that I made for classes in high school so I really wasn't set up to go to college, <laughs> nor was I the college just wasn't for me. I was not that yeah. kind of student. So I went to a tech school 
after I figured that out, I started in January after my senior year. I went to tech school. I actually wanted to go to school to be a sound engineer. Uh, that's still kind of a dream of mine. Uh, and I know you're always looking it's for never that. too late, man. I know it. Yeah. And we got a spot for you. I know you do. Uh, and so I went to a college called Brown College in the Twin Cities, which was very well known for broadcasting and things like that. And they didn't really have what I wanted. And so this counselor slash sales guy sold me on this computer course. And uh, so I did a one-year technical school computer course and got into IT. So that was my college experience. And after I figured out in my mid-20s what I wanted to be in life, I went back to school, like night school, and got a, got a degree finally. Yeah. And that led you into, you know, working in, in the banking world. It did eventually. I, uh, I started off at a pretty large software company and uh, worked there for a couple of years. And then I got drawn into some people who I worked with, got pulled into starting a shop at home television network. And the people who started this network that I went to were the ones who were really started the whole industry mm -hmm. way back when. And so it was kind of a cool opportunity. And so I went to a startup and uh, got to learn all of that. And it ended up failing after about two years. But, you know, I worked in broadcast uh, and got to really got to be exposed to that whole world, which is interesting now because, you know, we do a lot of broadcasting at Time sure. Revive. Yep. So yep. I'm at least familiar with it. I'm not, I'm not into it much, but I'm familiar with it. And uh, so after... That company went under, ended up getting a job with a bank that financed it. And that's what got me into banking and um, ultimately um, worked in banking for about 10 or 11 years in IT before I got called into ministry. And you still have a lot of friends in that banking world. I have many friends in the banking world. A lot. Yes. I remember one trip we went up there in Minnesota. Had to be, yeah, in Minnesota. Yeah. And they're like, Sean, oh my gosh, you're here. You know, many people knew who you were. Um, it's very cool to see that they still, you know, know you, recognize you, want you to work for them again. You know, they're trying to recruit you every time you go back up there. Um, how are you, you said like, you know, in your mid twenties, like you came back to the Lord. Talk about where were you, um, in the bank, like when you were in the software world, were you still, were you following the Lord then? Or what was, what was your relationship like with the Lord? In my first job, when I was at the software company, I I was beginning to put my life together. I bought a condo. I bought a brand new car. You know, like just those things yeah. that you start to do when you get your first job and your first real paycheck. And I had this manager who was a, a younger. I, at the time, he was probably 40. Mm -hmm. And it had done, really taken care of himself, done really well. You know, just he was in good shape. Even like he just, his life, he did a good job with his life. And I remember asking him, I was like, hey, tell me about this faith thing. Like, where do you go to church? How do you do it? And, and you know, he kind of, I don't really know that he had great answers, but he kind of pointed me in the right direction. And it was just something that I began to like collect information on. Mm -hmm. So you say you go to church. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Do you go every Sunday? Is it, what is it like? You know, just started asking a lot of questions around it. And that was probably eight or nine years of doing that. Like I wanted to do my homework on this whole church mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. And so I pursued it slowly. And, um, I was in my, in my mid twenties, uh, I met a girl, we got married. We're not very, married for very long. And up until, up until then, like I, I was really good at life. Like I was very intentional. I was successful. I put things in order. And so I had a good handle. We would say like, 
I had control of my life, and, mm-hmm. and which is true. I was the Lord of my life at that time, and I got into this marriage that was just not. It was just not the right thing, and the struggle of trying to make that work. Uh, I literally had no place left to turn, but this God person that everybody you know keeps raving about, and so through that marriage and then the a very quick divorce, uh, like I began to ran, I ran to God and mm. I pursued him and he pursued me. I mean, I can point to markers in my life where I'm like, man, you know, kind of like the, the guy who met me at my locker, moments like that where God really showed up and rescued me or kept me from really messing my life up in, in just tiny little things. But, you know, you make one tiny little mistake and it changes the course. And so through that, through that whole experience, I realized that he was pursuing me. I started pursuing him, and it was, uh, it was just what, the catalyst that made it happen. Mm-hmm. Over those eight or nine years, he's, you mentioned one guy. Were there other people that were like trying to pour into you that you weren't? I think looking back, uh, there was a lot of people who. Uh, I think, okay, so you know we. Sean equips people to share the gospel. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. And so looking back now, I can see like, oh, they were trying to oh, share yeah, yeah, yeah. they were trying to share the gospel yeah, with me. Yeah. And I w- either they weren't like f- fully disclosing what this gospel was, or like they're just doing what they've been trained. It, I mean, mm-hmm. it it worked. Uh, but I can see him like, oh, that guy, hey, Ted wanted to have lunch with me for a reason. He's right. he's telling me his story about his transformation. I know now that that's called a testimony. Yep. Uh, and so I had a lot of experiences like that, and people, some of them were more direct about like, hey, look, you need to pursue this thing, and some of them were less direct, but all of it, I took it in. And uh, the, what really was like the breaking point was uh, a, a friend, Heather, you know her, and Adam, and uh, I was skiing with Heather. Heather and I ran a, a children's ski program together, her and I, and then uh, her husband, Adam, skied with us. He was uh, a coach for all the instructors. And so... She was current on my, you know, you know, like, hey, how's this marriage going? I'm like, this is not going well. And she's like, you know, this is what you need. This is your answer. Like, you got to pursue the Lord. And uh, I remember we're riding up a chairlift. It was Mount Cato in Mankato, Minnesota. Uh, I could tell you everything about that moment, the day. I could tell you where we were in the chairlift, the clouds in the sky. And uh, she's like, how's it going? I was like, it's not going great. She's like, you know, you got to, like, you got to pursue the Lord. Like, you got to go to church. I'm like, she doesn't want to go to church. And she's like... This is not about. This is about your relationship, not mm-hmm. together. Like this is your relationship. Mm-hmm. She's like, you just need to go, and I was like, oh man. And by this point, we're standing at the top of the chairlift on the top of the hill, and I was like, you're right. And it was a Saturday, and I went to a Saturday night service that night, and basically that was like the last time I didn't not go to church. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like you miss you know church yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever, but like that was the first time that I went to church where it was like never stop. Mm-hmm. When I first started getting back into uh, going to church, like in my uh, mid mid twenties, um, there was a guy that he would just like you said, like some guy that wanted to have lunch with you. When I worked at Guitar Center in Dallas, and um, he would come, and this was when we were in the weeds. Like Misty and I were not not doing well. I was, you know, getting stoned and whatever, and. He would come down and he would eat and he would, you know, just share. And like we're getting, you know, he walked through a a lot of stuff with me. And 
Um, then I come to Ridgeview all this time later, like what, I don't know how many years later, 10 or 12. And then this word uh, discipleship gets thrown around and I'm like, the son of a gun was discipling me right underneath my nose. And I had no idea, didn't even know it. And I love that, man, because I credit a lot of me coming back to or being able to come back easily to the Lord was was through, was with him. And I was forever grateful, forever grateful. So you mentioned a condo, and you had moved out, and you were renting it to somebody. And I want you to tell a story, because this is one of the coolest, coolest stories. Uh, I'm just going to just go, just tell it. Yeah, I had this condo for rent. I mentioned, I, you know, I had my life together. So I bought a condo and uh, I, I moved out for a season and I rented it out. I had a couple of different renters in there. And uh, and then back then you rented stuff out on Craigslist. Like mm-hmm. that's where everything was bought and sold. No, there's no Facebook marketplace that yeah, hadn't yeah, been invented yeah. yet. Yeah. And so... Uh, there's no electronicbay.com. <laughs> right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I had it. For, uh, for rent on Craigslist, and uh, that's where all my renters came from. And uh, I needed a, I had a couple of short term renters, and I needed to get back into a one year lease because I wanted to be on that cycle. Uh, because I learned the month that I was trying to lease it out was really, really difficult. And so uh, Erica sends me this email. She's like, I'm very interested in this place, and uh, it's perfect for me because it was close to her school, but outside of the district. And she's like, I'm going to be your best renter ever. Uh, I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to sign a one-year lease, but I'll probably be there for like three or four years. You'll never hear from me. And I was like, great, this is exactly what I need. I don't need any more high maintenance renters. <laughs> Will you marry in me? My place. <laughs> Not even, it wasn't an option. I wasn't <laughs> even thinking that. And, uh, and so I rented it to her and she was, she was an awesome renter. I never heard from her. She paid her paid a rent on time and except for one time I needed to go over and fix something that was just it just broke you know just typical landlord stuff and she kept the place nice it wasn't she didn't destroy it so like yes like here's here's my renter and after her one-year lease was up or actually before it was up I needed to move back in you know my circumstances changed I needed to move back into my condo and so I had to call her and I gave her a plenty of notice. I just, I need to tell everybody this because like everybody's in a hard time. Mm-hmm. It's a 60 day notice. I gave her 90 days. I'm like, I need to move back into my condo. That's a long days. time. It is a long time. That's Thank a good, you. That's yes. a good amount of time. Yeah. And so she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, she's just full of compassion. She's like, no problem. That's it's, it works out because they ended up kind of doing a weird thing in the district where they let go of a whole group of teachers and, and she was included in that. Mm. And she's like, I actually don't really know where I'm going to be teaching next year. Anyway, so this works out for me too. Great. So I moved back in. It was the end of the school year, June timeframe. Um, every now and then I would get a piece of mail or something and I would text her be like, hey, you know, I got this mail. And she's like, oh, who's it from? And I'm like, it's from the, you know, this. She's like, it's junk, just throw it out. So we had a, like a, a line of communication open. And then there's something weird going on in the building and I had to text her and be like, what is the story with this? You know, so like little things here mm-hmm. and there. Mm-hmm. And then... Towards the end of summer, I, she texted me. She's like, hey, you know, I got my job back and the people in the building found me another place within the building to live. So, I, you know, I'll probably see you around. I was like, oh, great. 
And so we we did. We'd see each other in the hallway, and there was two buildings connected to each other through like this mutual hallway where like the workout room was and the pool was. And she was in the other building, and so I'd get mail, and or we'd see each other in the hallway, and we'd have these conversations that you know grew in length, like from five minutes to all of a sudden like we're standing in the hallway talking for an hour. And uh, at the time, I was just like like kind of getting back into like dating. And so I've got like eHarmony and I'm like going yeah. on these dates. And, and How fresh is this off of, you know, your... So uh, probably at this point, you know, maybe eight months from from like the official divorce. Final, yeah. And yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's just like time, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like going on these, I'm going on these dates and I find myself measuring everybody up against like Erica because she's just a high quality person like all the way around and I would and she doesn't even know this I'm not even talking to her I'm just like oh mm-hmm. that person like if if, she, if only somebody could be more like this quality of Erica or this quality of Erica and then I, I realize I'm like wait a minute I'm like what's going on here and so it took me a couple of weeks I I probably wrote a text message to her and deleted it many times like what do i say how do i like oh trying to you know just to, like make the next move or something you just ask yeah her. just yeah, like yeah. ask her out you know do you want to go get some ice cream or something and finally the the last straw came it was it was the tuesday after labor day and in minnesota school starts tuesday after labor day and erica was a teacher mm-hmm. uh, and so it was a tuesday after labor day i had a late afternoon coffee date it was a disaster and i was just i was like i was just frustrated with the whole process and out of like completely pure motive, like I wasn't even trying to go on a date. I was just like, I needed to like, just go hang out. And I texted her, it was like, you know, five o'clock or something like that. I was like, I just texted her. I was like, do you want to go get something to eat? And and that was it. Mm -hmm. And she tells her side of the story, which is like the first day of school, which I guess for teachers is kind of a big deal. And in Minnesota, there's no AC in the classrooms and it's a hot time of the year. So she's just... She's, she'll say that she was trying to decide between like taking a shower, eating, or going to bed. Mm-hmm. And I text. And so we go out to dinner. She said yes. And we went out to dinner that night. And, uh, you know, five o'clock, we closed the restaurant down at 10 and just started talking. And uh, the next day, I think she texted me to see if I wanted to go on, on a walk in a park that was right outside the uh, place where we, we each had our place in you know, our condos. And and after that second date, I think we were, we were both like, okay, we cannot do this tomorrow. Like yeah. we must take a one day like break from this. Cause it was like, this walk was like probably like a five mile walk and we just kept on talking and we agreed that we would take the one day break and we didn't like, we like <laughs> well, you we just want to go get some ice cream. We'll make it real quick. You yeah, know? Yeah, like, yeah. And so, uh, that just began the process of, uh, of dating. And it was highly convenient because we lived in the same building and you know, we just walk over in your socks and grab some dinner and, you know, you could, you know, be done and go home and whatever. So it was good. Sure. Was she following the Lord then? Oh, a hundred percent. In fact, here's the beauty of, if you're ever interested to date your renter, this is the beauty mm. of dating somebody who's your renter. You know, <laughs> There's every, a website, date Yeah, there should be. I'm going to start <laughs> one. You know everything about them. So because she had to fill out all her paperwork, her background check, I yeah. knew how much money she made. I like, I knew everything about her. And, and I had, she was, she had a blog at one point in time. And I think if I remember her telling the story, she grew up in a, a, a very solid Christian home in Wisconsin and she moved to go to the University of Minnesota, so a secular university. 
And so I think she started this blog just to kind of keep her family up to date that she's still walking with the Lord and all this stuff. Well, I came mm-hmm. across that blog. And so I knew like the quality of her character <laughs> in addition to she was a special ed teacher. So like, yeah, th- that in itself is just like, you know, that Big this patience, person, yeah, patience, yeah. loving, kind, all of that stuff. And so there's I, a list that includes those somewhere, somewhere in the Bible. I somewhere. read that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and all of that and more is like what describes her. So I just, I knew everything about her. I knew how, amazing she was even Mm -hmm. before like I was interested in who she was Mm -hmm. all right so how long did y'all date before you were like you kind of knew uh well I think she knew pretty quickly (laughs) I did the I did the uh the 2012 version of a mixtape for her Mm -hmm. uh so the job that I was in it was a pretty it was a high paying job. And so I went and bought her an iPod. Mm. They still made those back then. Mm-hmm. And, I, and she was going on a trip with her parents to see her sister who was living in France. And so I bought, the, I brought a brand new iPod and I loaded it up with all of my, you know, Ben Rector and Need to Breathe and like, you know, Drew Holcomb, like all these, uh, some of my favorite songs. <clears throat> and I was like, hey, you know, just take this, you know, it's got some songs on it. It kind of played it off like it was mine. <laughs> like I bought it sure. exclusively for her for that. And she, she, I think she says like, that's kind of like when she knew like, okay, like this is, this is legit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was, I was a little bit more cautious and I was intentionally taking, taking it slower. But I, I think I knew pretty quickly just because again, like we didn't just meet off the street. Like right. I knew of her, like we had a, a, like we, we knew each other's character generally speaking. And so, um, I think it's like when you know, you know, mm-hmm. and so we dated for about a year and a half and, uh, and then I proposed and we had a very short engagement, I think five months and got married in 2014. And that was up North still, right? Yes. We were living in, uh, St. Paul area, Minneapolis, St. Paul area. Okay. All that happened. And I want to get to your the call on the ministry because you got pulled out of the marketplace mm-hmm. um, for ministry, and it was for it was a revival that was happening that you attended, if I remember correctly. Um, what? How did you get? How did you hear about that? Yeah, so I'm gonna back up a little bit from there. I was still pursuing the Lord. I was at the bank that I came from where you said you've met everybody's tradition bank in, um, in Minnesota. And it was a startup, another startup. And so I was, I I think I came in about year two of the startup and most of the leadership team of the bank were believers. And, you know, the, the, the now president, it, uh, you know, he had a pretty strong experience at a promise keepers event. So he was, he was pretty bold with his faith. And, uh, and the woman who I worked for, Marcy, she was a CFO I mean, she was, she's, is a woman of prayer. I mean, she just prays and prays and Mm -hmm. prays and prays. And I know now, like they were, I think I had a target on my back, but I really (laughs) wasn't walking with the Lord while I was there. Good, you know, you know, decent guy and all that stuff. But, and so I, I, my world got rocked when I was there. That's where really when it turned the corner um, for me, I'd met Erica. I went on a mission trip with the bank really kind of figured out this kingdom thing of like, wow, we've got gifts, talents, we can put them to work to help people for the kingdom, all that stuff. And so the founding president in the bank and I, he's uh, in his mid-70s now, 
we became buddies and started doing a lot of ministry work together. And so we had wrapped up a ministry project, just helping out using our kind of resources that we had available. And he was uh, introduced to Time to Revive uh, through a board meeting of a board of ministry that a ministry board that he was on. And he came into my office and he said, Hey, I think I found our next project. These guys are coming into town from Dallas and uh, they are going to do this big outreach in the summer. This is, this is like late spring. They're going to do this big outreach in the summer and, and they need help. They need help getting plugged into the business community. They need help getting porta potties and t-shirts and waters. And I'm like, dude, I'm in, this sounds great. I'm in, mm-hmm. you know, what, you know, how can we help? And he's like, well, We'll figure it out. We'll meet with them. And I was like, well, what do they do? And he said, well, they go out in the street and they share the gospel with people. And I was like, yeah, I don't do that. But I'm, I'll help. This sounds great. Sure. It sounds really fun. And so over the course of time, you know, like when we go into a city, we go and we go and we go. And we just develop relationships, get to know the community, network. And so the Time Revive team was coming up and doing that in the Twin Cities. And we were meeting with them monthly. And I just kind of got to know them over time which led to this week of outreach in July of 2014. And my world just got rocked with sharing the gospel. And uh, I got thrusted into it against my will. And it was awesome. And it became this this thrill or like you'd almost say it's like a drug. Like when you get to lead somebody in an encounter where they get to experience you know, the truth of the gospel. Maybe they'll accept Christ, maybe they won't, but like you can see things going off. Like it just became this addiction of like wanting to see people encounter Jesus. And we, this was the summer of 2014, we were engaged, mm-hmm. Eric and I. So we got engaged uh, early June. This was in July. We got married in October. And we, after we got married, she moved back into my condo, which mm-hmm. she said she was going to be there for about yep. three or four years, which is kind of prophetic. Yeah, yeah. We lived there, and uh, around the, the the first of the year, we um, we began a search and found our forever home in Roseville, Minnesota, and bought it and began to do some work on it. And um, yeah, just the Lord called, and uh, and and I was being drawn. I I, I was being. Um, I think wooed by the Lord, and I knew it was going to be at some point in time. My career at the bank was going to come to an end, which, from a kingdom perspective, I was doing kingdom work, like yeah. the and the bank still does, and I was a par- very uh, integral part of that. And it was just like there was a stirring in me. I knew something was going to change. I didn't know we were going to move to Dallas, but I knew that at some point I'd probably get into ministry or nonprofit work, and then. Obviously, we bought our forever home way before I was expecting it. Got a call from Kyle, the founder of Time Revive, and uh, he said, "Hey, you know, I've got this. I, I need, I, I need this role. I think you'd fit it. Uh, would you pray about it?" And uh, so we did. And within, I think, another four or five, six, seven days, uh, we also found out we were pregnant with Nicole, our mm-hmm. first, our first daughter. So it's just a lot of a lot of big news in, in a short period of time that sure. we had to process and kind of learn through. But again, we're in our, our forever home, and so like this the adjustment of like, okay, what do I do with this? You know, you had mentioned Kyle, founder of, of Time to Revive, calling you. So you had obviously met him at the revival. Like, what was that encounter? What? How did he know you or know of you? Yeah, we the, the ministry was small at the time. Okay, five or six people. Did they originally start in Indiana? Is that true? No, that no. He, Kyle's from Indiana. Oh, he's from there. Okay. Yes, and uh, they started in 2007 with a tent revival downtown Dallas here. Okay. 
So as he was coming up every month and they would host meetings at the bank, we would just get to know him like in the same way that you and I have got to know each other, sure. just hanging out, spending time, doing ministry together. So I get to know him, but he really got to know my friend Reed, the older guy, the founder of the bank, much better than me. I was always with him. And so like he knew me, but he really knew Reed. And so when he he needed this role, uh, you know, I think he was just kind of like processing with Reed about some things, just ministry direction wise. Uh, you know, Reed's like, hey, I got a guy for you. Take my guy, you know? And so uh, how many people do that? That's so amazing. It's crazy. Yeah, because he could be really selfish and be like, I've got I've got the best guy. You can't have him. Like, yeah. Who would recommend that too? And then there's no possibility of you staying in town even. Like you're you're gone. Right. Completely. You know, this is a Dallas based ministry. That's amazing. So you find out there's a there's an open position. You move down. This is before Nicole? Well, yeah. That was uh fifteen. That was March of twenty fifteen. And we had to process as a as a couple. Like it was a there's a lot of big news that was wrapped up in all that that we just had to you know, we had to work through it. Erica wasn't uh, I don't I don't think she was at the same place that I was. Sure. Obviously she's like she grew up in a solid home and like she understands mission and all that stuff, but it was it was newer to her than it was to me. And so we we just had to like what does that look like in our marriage, our family, our extended family? And so it took a while and in in that time, I was doing some contract work for Time to Revive and helping out, creating some structure for some things. And uh, I was part of the interview process for a whole bunch of missionaries that were coming on board because the ministry had exploded that uh, early that year throughout the summer. And so uh, we were just like trying to figure it out. And it, and it was, I was wrestling with it because I was feeling the call, like, mm. you know, and it wasn't something that I was really able to articulate well. Like I could feel it and I knew it, but I didn't have the words for it. And, you know, not being able to communicate that well is not helpful when you're trying to bring somebody with you in the journey. And so it was just, it was challenging and, you know, we navigated it. It was, it was, it was good. Like it, I don't, we don't look back on that and be like, oh man, we're, we almost didn't make it. Like yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. It was just it was just tough to navigate, and then it was um, it's actually right around this time. It was probably my goodness, uh, yeah, late October. <laughs> yeah, it's probably eight years ago today. Yeah, yeah. I remember we had this. Just Nicole hadn't been born yet. She was born on the uh, early early November, and they had brought in all of these missionaries uh, into time to revive. Probably. I don't know, 20 or 30 throughout the summer using this structure and program that I had created. And, uh, and then I was a part of the interview process for all these people coming on board, giving up their lives, pursuing their calling, answering this call. And I, I was a part of that in-person final interview with Kyle and his wife and, and our HR person who uh, is with us now. And they were doing a, com they did the training here in Dallas and they did a commissioning at Dallas Bible Church and it was too close to Nicole being born for me to responsibly leave mm -hmm. and come down to Dallas. And so I stayed home, and they did their commissioning at Dallas Bible Church. And John Mazel, who's the founder of East West Ministries, was an awesome man of God. He kind of he gave the message that day. And so after church, we would go to Target and go grocery shopping uh, when life was easy without kids, right? Yeah. 
And I was like, you know, why don't you go in? I'm going to live stream this. I just want to watch, you know, like all these people, like they're based on the work that I was doing, like they were entering into the, <clears throat> into the mission field. And I don't remember what he preached, but I lost it in the car. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't, I couldn't keep it in. And I was bawling my eyes out. And it was just like, wow, like God, all of, and hear this the right way. Like all these people are leaving everything and they're going into ministry because of like the work that you allowed me to do. Mm-hmm. And it like destroyed me. And the message was done and Erica's still shopping. And I'm like, I'm, you know, wiping my face and like trying to like get it together. Mm-hmm. And I go into the store and she's, I found her and she saw me and she's like, what happened? I was like, you know, I was just shaking it off. I was like, oh, it was a good message. You know, just, it was a really good message. <laughs> and, and then we didn't really, t- I, I didn't, if I didn't have words before, I certainly did not have words at this time. And so I was just quiet and we went home. She's putting the groceries away. I'm just kind of like sitting on the couch, staring into space, not really knowing what I was feeling. And, mm. uh, Uh, she came and she sat down on the couch next to me and she's like, what is it? And I was like, we got to go. And she was like, okay. And I was like, all right. And then it was like this weight had lifted and it's like, we knew, I knew like, like the release, Mm -hmm. like we can go and I can pursue this. And after that, like all of the logistics kicked in and, you know, like even some doubt, and so that's like, you know, that's like mid-afternoon. And I said, hmm. <laughs> and, and I there's said, there's a lot more evening. Oh yeah. There's a lot more to go. And, and I said, all right, let's just like pray for a confirmation. I know that. And here was my confirmation. If Kyle calls me tonight, this is the confirmation that this is the right thing to do. And I knew he was incredibly busy because all these people were in town. So like, mm-hmm. you know, throw up a real high fleece. And it's six o'clock in the evening. I'm laying on the couch and the phone rings and it's Kyle. And I like, I pick up my phone and I was like, it's Kyle. And I run into the kitchen. I'm like, showing Eric. I'm like, it's Kyle. And she's like, what are you going to do? I was like, what do I do? She's like, well, answer the phone. Why well, didn't it went to voicemail? Like I, I delayed too much. <laughs> and so, and so I called back. Uh, and I was like, hey, man, what's going on? And I thought he was going to be like, dude, you need to come. This is, gonna, this is awesome. He's like, hey, he's like, I just wanted it. It was an awesome weekend training. You know, just we're praying for you. It was just, it was just a, a touch point for him. Mm-hmm. And, and then I hung up. And, uh, and she's like, well, you didn't, you didn't tell him. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're right. I didn't. And so I called him back. And I was like, hey. He's like, hey, what's going on? I was like, we're in. He's like, oh. Because the whole time he'd been like, just keep praying, man. Keep yeah, praying, process. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, man, that's awesome. You know, I, I'm excited. We talked for a little bit and then uh, hung up the phone. And, and then it was like, okay, the release. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had to work through very practical things. Like we just bought a brand new house. Yep. It wasn't a brand new house. Like we just bought a house. And like, what do we do? Like, you know, sell it as a, at a loss and all this stuff. And yeah, the Lord just worked it out. And and I had been preparing ahead of time. Like I kind of knew what the salary was, half, uh, roughly half of what we were making. Mm-hmm. And uh, we didn't do debt, but we had a, I had student loans from going to adult night school, which is very expensive. And I had a car payment and you know, math is math. God is God, but math is math in my mind, <laughs> yeah. you know? And I was yeah. like, we can't, this, this just simply doesn't work. You right. know, this salary and, and art expenses which were very minimal and um so i i think i 
told Kyle on the phone, I was like, this is November. It's November 1st. So like, you know, we're a couple of days away, right? It's November 1st. And I was like, look, um, I'm ready. I'm in, but we just have to, I've got to pay off some things. Like I'm a Dave Ramsey. We're going to snowball. Like it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. We can get rid of this debt and then I can make it work. Mm-hmm. And I said, I did my spreadsheet and I can be there by end of June, early July of next year. He's like, no problem, man. Just, we'll just keep praying. And uh, that was November 1st. Uh, I put in my resignation at the bank on February 8th of that year because the debt had been wiped out just by crazy God stories and uh, started on in March, the beginning of March. Wow. Like four months ahead is my plan. Yeah. I really have mad respect for those that um, accept a call out of state. You know, when Aaron Mm -hmm. moved down here, I think of you moving down here. I moved um, 40 minutes. Man, I commend you for that. That's a... I think moving away, in particular from Erica's family, because they're they're all in the same life stage, kids, marriages, mm-hmm. you know, and, and um, it was probably one of the hardest things that we had to do, but it was the best thing that ever happened to our marriage. Just because we didn't have anybody. We couldn't call and say, mm-hmm. hey, come take, the, we need a date night. You know, like we had to work together to, and we did. I mean, we don't, we don't argue, we don't fight. Like we get along and we just had to work through so much and it, it's just so good. The house you're in now, is that the same house? Yes. That you, like we, first house we, in Texas. We, our very first house in Texas that, that we bought online and uh, Erica. You bought online. Did you see it? I, I came down once we bought it or mm-hmm. made an offer on it. I came down a couple of days later, but Erica saw it the day that we moved in. And well, she saw it on FaceTime and sure. pictures yeah, and yeah, things yeah. like that. But Okay. Still there, man. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And since then, you've had two kids. Yeah, we had one, toward. Nicole, we had in Minnesota. And then our two boys are purebred Texans. <laughs> <laughs> You're for real, for real. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do want to talk about Time to Revive just a little bit. Um, and just a, a short testimony of like what they do. For me, you know, I know that when I met you at Ridgeview, it was when we still had a Saturday night service when you were doing media and lyrics and pro presenter and such. Um, but I had no idea that Time to Revive existed. I didn't know what the Bibles and the bands were. Um, and I can't remember the first time that we went out, but I just remember uh, the boldness that you had in sharing the gospel. Like when you talk about wanting to see somebody get it, earlier when you were saying that, it still happens today. Like I can still see that joy. Um, I remember... We were on Plano Road by that, across from that fiesta at that juice bar. That's, okay, so... Veronica. Yes, okay, then this is, I was just about to share this. So it's amazing, you'll walk up to somebody and you'll say, hey, like, do you know the Lord? Like, did you grow up in church? And they'll be like, oh yeah, I grew up in church, da-da-da-da-da. And you'll give them the Bible, and if, and if anyone's familiar with it, that's, you know, it has five tabs on it. You read five scriptures. It takes you down the Roman road, pretty much, but they're all highlighted. And just say, hey, read that verse, and it's, you know, for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And I remember you asked her, you go, have you ever read that? And she said, no. And I was blown away, like, that you were, that she had said, you know, I grew up in church my whole life. 
and I've never read this myself. And it it was like a light bulb went off, like people need to hear the word mm-hmm. and people need to know that they're loved and that there is a savior, right? And then I don't remember anything else. Did you, you went back, right? I did. I was just, I texted you a photo. Yes. Uh, she, I don't remember her testimony going back, but it was cool enough that I texted you about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those are the follow-up stories. Like, I like that you can follow up. Like, you know, we've been to Laredo. We've been to Wisconsin. I don't have those phone numbers, you know, but when you get to heaven, you'll be like, dude, you remember the tacos? (laughs) Dude, I I remember when we were up in Wisconsin Mm -hmm. and it was St. Patrick's Day. Yes. Do you remember that? Yep, I do. Do you remember how cold it was? It was definitely close to zero, if not zero. Yeah. And you had the bright idea to go share the gospel outside. It was windy and it was snowing, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Or sleeting? Yeah, it was some flurries in the air. Something. And it was you, me, and Drew. Uh-huh. And he was videoing. And the lady outside, we just... The only people that were outside were the people smoking cigarettes. And drunk, because it was St. Patty's Day. And drunk, yes, they were drunk. And we were out there for about 15 minutes, and you were like, yeah, let's go. Yeah, you weren't having it at all. No, I don't do the cold. I was thinking about, you know, we're working in Montana now, and I'm about to book this trip up there, and it's, they got, it was two degrees as a low. This is like, we're at the end of October right now, and it was, they got down to two degrees, they got two feet of snow last week, and I'm thinking, man... I feel so bad that I'm going to pull Jeff in all this. <laughs> I'm glad you're thinking of me. Because, I mean, even today, was it was like 40 mm-hmm. in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, man, I got like my snow hat on. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't do the cold. I just don't. Can't stand it. And for anyone, that, well, I'm not going to say it. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, Man, I'm... Um, what time is it? It's like right at an hour. Is there something you want to talk about? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, let's do a little, uh, just like, kind of, kind of equipping. Not, not equipping, but like, man, there's more for people out there. Like, just pursue stuff. Like, you know. Walk more fully in your calling. Okay. Okay. Um, I'll also say that you've, you're really good at identifying what people's gifts are or identifying how they can walk in their gifts. And um, I remember the first time you and I sat down to eat, I think it was breakfast, some cafe. The house cafe in Richardson. Yeah. And you were like, do you know what your name means? And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. No, I don't. He's like, you should probably look it up. And um, that sent me on like this journey, like this, you know, just that one little seed of, of planting, you know, my name means God's peace. And then I started like... That's kind of become your thing. Like you get names. It is. It is. And the first time it happened when God like allowed me to operate in this was um, I was driving away from this, this photo shoot I had. 
And across the street, there were two women. God was like, one of them is named Michelle. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, we're not doing this. So, like, I get in my car and I, I start to leave. And I was like, no, like, I have to, I have to be obedient. I'm going to look. Even if I look like a fool, mm-hmm. I'll do it. So I rolled my window down and I yelled across. I was like, is one of y'all named Michelle? And one of them raised their hand. And I was like, no way. So, like, now I'm smiling as I, like, put my car in reverse yeah. and, like, I'm going up the driveway. I'm like... I'm obedient. I, yeah, I've got a word for you, <laughs> you know? And um, I prayed, prayed for them. Um, and it turned out um, her husband was a pastor, mm. which was even cooler, like, that she could... Like, what if he doesn't believe in that kind of stuff? Yeah. You know? And I just remember going, like, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to start operating in this, like, a lot more. But I think you're really good at um, tearing down the walls about how hard it can be to just talk to people. Because most people will talk to you if you're going to ask them, you know, how can I pray for you, which is basically the lead line into going on the streets. Yeah, we've been out together. I, I don't think, except for when we got kicked out of the mall, like, I don't think we've ever ever been rejected. Was it you that... We got kicked out of the mall? In Laredo? No, no, I didn't go with you. Yeah, it wasn't me. Okay, that wasn't you. Yeah, I, I don't know. We've never been rejected. I, I, can, I can't really think of a time when somebody didn't engage. And if, they, if they're uninterested, they'll definitely let you know that they're uninterested. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to be mean. But even like, you know, you remember the guy in Laredo that was... Uh, was he a Hindu? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. he was a lot of, lot of well, things. Well, he was many things, right? Yeah. He was Hindu and Muslim, and even he was very open to engage. Like, he are just, you talking about the guy in the in the mall who we prayed for his back? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He he just loved having a conversation, mm-hmm. and he he didn't have all the answers to his faith, and we didn't have all the answers that he was asking. Mm-hmm. But it was a really good and fun conversation. And, and his just, back got healed. And his back got healed. And you know the funny thing about the, the they say what's the phrase? It's more, more is caught than taught. Oh, yeah. I don't equip our kids. I did a little bit during COVID. You know, um, we as a ministry were just intentional about trying to go out every single day and share the gospel with somebody, just individually. Mm-hmm. And so I would bring Nicole out with me a lot. And uh, and she's just good at sharing the gospel and, and natural. And outside of that, I don't generally, quote unquote, equip them. But they do observe. And it yes. is amazing what they observe. And sometimes... <laughs> Jonah was telling us the other day, he's in kindergarten, and uh, he did not learn from me. But he, he, he went up to this kid, and he's like, do you believe in Jesus? And the kid's <laughs> like, no. And he's like, well, you're going to burn on a lake of fire. <laughs> and you know me, that's not my language. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, they, the courage that they have to just go and broach, they haven't, they haven't been in church long enough to know that you can't talk about that sure. with other people. Like. That's kind of the thing, and if if we can just show them from a, a young age that yeah, let's pray for this person, or you know, let's buy this person groceries or something, like they will pick it up. And if we just make it normal for them, mm-hmm. it will be normal for them, right? And when you have your kids with you, like what jerk is going to say no to a kid <laughs> asking <laughs> yeah, if they can pray yeah. for them? Yes, it, they just open up doors. Nicole, she did this to me yesterday, uh, and I, I said that in a bad way. Like, we were in the van. Erica went into Aldi because it was so cold out. <laughs> like, we just wanted to keep the kids in the van. And Nicole's like, 
to, there was a lady sitting in the van next to us and she's like, we should pray for her. And I was like, you know, I mean, it's kind of cold outside and windy and like, I'm the one coming up with the excuses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is did my you, job, you know what I mean? Like, this is... And did you end up praying? No. Oh, <laughs> man. But all that to say, you know, like life gets in the way, like it, the, our flesh gets in the way mm-hmm. and we can't be afraid of that happening. <laughs> no. Yeah, you're going to get rejected, no question, if Jesus got rejected. No doubt. After everyone saw the miracles firsthand, you mm-hmm. know. Well, before I land the plane, um, you guys just helped out with the Exalt Week at Ridgeview, and that was a massive, massive help and and turnout. I think all of the Time to Revive people were in town, or most of them were for that week, mm-hmm. right, of outreach. Many. Yeah. yeah. And that was a super awesome week, one of the coolest weeks, because it was it was a local mission trip, mm-hmm. right? And why don't you kind of talk about what that what that looks like, Exalt Week? You know, Exalt was slightly unique for us, in in a sense that we didn't. Uh, I mean, I, I, we handled the week, like the logistics. If you were there, and you kind of went in the morning and the afternoon and the evening, like we handled that part of it, and then. Uh, the Rockwall pastors and the, this is your season ministry handled the stadium thing. But uh, that was unique for us in that we, I feel like we we saw more fruit from the prayer than we did from the outreach. Now, certainly mm-hmm. like we talked to a lot of people, shared the gospel with a lot of people, but we really saw God move when we were intentionally praying for those different areas. You know, we prayed for education one day in the government, in the um media and the arts and entertainment in those those different areas day by day. And I think we saw, we surprised ourselves uh, with just how how effective prayer was. Mm-hmm. And when you like really like press in and pray for something specifically, like I know, you know, Pastor Dave and Aaron are, are now connected into the, the fire department and EMS because they established some relationships that week and you prayed for that. And, uh, and the, the, this is your season, the prayer ladies in Rockwell, they've been praying into the city for 20 years and you know, they're seeing things now that they've been praying for so long. And all we had to do was put some feet to it. Mm-hmm. And and it, it just took a, a little bit of time to organize it. It wasn't much effort uh, and to walk it out. And so I, I think for me, it was really encouraging because we got to walk in a lot of answered prayers. But that is pretty typical of what we would do in a community. So like right now we're working in Bozeman, Montana. Bozeman is a is a very unique area and it's much different from Rockwell. Like it's mm-hmm. 3% evangelical Christian in Montana. And it's you know, 1.2 million people live in the state, which is like the city of Dallas. Mm. And so 3% are evangelical Christian and that's spread out throughout the state. So like you have a very small number of, it's not the same in Bozeman as yep. it is in Rockwell. Yep. And so we have to spend time going up praying into the city, getting to know the locals, meeting with people, understanding, you know, like the lay of the land, but then you've got to start encountering people in the street so that we can kind of understand what is it, what is it, what's going to be an effective way to reach somebody who is born and raised in Montana, they live on the land, they provide for themselves, but yet they hold conservative values, like they would probably vote the same way that most Christians would. They would hold all the same belief, the values, the cultural values, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yet they've never heard the name of Jesus. And so we have to start over again. We had this amazing week in Rockwall, 
and you know went on to Malawi and other things. But now we've got to start over in Bozeman, and the process of discovering and uncovering those things is really enjoyable. And then when you start to see believers in the community, when you make them, when you connect them, you say, "Hey, look, you guys are doing this over here, and you're doing it over here, and you're at different churches," and they start to to become friends with one another. Mm-hmm. Then they start to see that stuff happen. And I think that's what was cool about Exalt is that the pastors in Rockwall gather regularly, monthly, yes. and they're friends. They've become friends. And yeah. they, they actually you know, make fun of and celebrate the theological differences between them, and they don't care. Mm-hmm. But it's because they're friends that then those connections and that ministry happens and things can happen in a city. And so Rockwall is pretty unique in that way. But what we do is we try to, we try to create some of that it already existed here, but we created in cities that we go into. And so we did it in Wisconsin Rapids when you came up and just trying to get people working together and then uh, equip them to go out and share the gospel. And, and share the gospel is a, that's a, it's a kind of a handbag term that, and there's so much more to it. Like you're really just talking to people, letting them encounter Jesus through you and moving them one step further down that road that they're already on. You may get to the gospel, you may not. They may accept, they may not. That's not up to us. Like we just try to present it to the lost, and then also work with the church. So it's a joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just being obedient where God has you in their story, because you might be mm-hmm. that plant, water, right, or harvest yeah. part of that of their journey. Whoever you encounter on the street, which can be intimidating, but it doesn't have to be. No, it doesn't have to be. And I, you know, during Exalt Week, my my kids went out with um, one of your team members by themselves, a girl, a lady, mm-hmm. and that was fun for them to come back and and share those stories. So it's 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 just not hard. You just have to have to do it. Just go. You have to do it. Well, man, thank you so much for sitting down with me, and I've really enjoyed our talk. And I hope the Lord blesses you, keeps you and your family. Thanks for coming out, man. That's a pleasure. Thanks for thanks for doing this. Absolutely. See you.